0: What is it that convinces you that Christianity is true? You might not be convinced Christianity is true. You might think it's not. What is it that convinces you that Christianity is not true? Whether you accept Jesus or you reject Jesus, everyone in this room has an opinion on the Christian faith. But what is it that convinces you or dissuades you of that opinion? One of the sadder facts about being a parent of four children... um, is the number of Disney movies you have to watch. I'm not really a lover of Disney movies. I hate them. They're kind of like always the same storyline. They're repetitive. They're like, oh, and everything turns out rosy at the end. You're like, come on. I just can't handle the kind of cheesiness of them. They just make me cringe. I'm like, oh, it's just like that little sprinkle dust at the start. And Anyway. But one thing I've picked up on my extensive study of Disney movies, and I think it is extensive, Um is this moral value of where truth is found. In a broken world, right, in the movie where everyone else is the bad guy and the only way to work out what's right is to dig deep inside yourself. Do you remember? It's like look inside yourself and do the right thing. Uh, Do what you know your heart is right. That's that's the moral of the Disney movie, right? Because everyone else is bad. As much as I hate to say it, I think Disney's actually captured the way we think or the way society thinks. Um or at least maybe the way we make decisions. We place an incredible amount of confidence on our view of the world. We often make decisions and judgments, I think, two ways. The first way is the Disney way, right? Uh, it's by looking within. It's, okay, I'm going to make a choice here and I'm going to work out the best way forward. What does my heart tell me to do? You know, what is my gut, what will make me feel happy? I make decisions according to my values to be true to who I am my intuition, my heart ends up being my moral compass for working out the best way to live, right? Anything that doesn't fit with how I think it should is wrong. Okay. That's Disney version one. The other option I think is also in Disney movies. Um, there's this kind of one where we don't look into ourselves, but we look out. We find the expert. We go out and and, you know, it's generally people who can't handle the kind of the, the nice touchy feely really stuff that kind of mumbo jumbo that happens you're like whatever I'm a scientific person you know I don't want to just go what, what, what's inside me I want the cold hard truth uh, I want to see it I want to test it I want to repeat it I want to report it I want to hear it I want to validate it it's how it work, right you know those type of people you might be one of them um, then you publish it and then you move on right <laughs> It's the realm of physics, of science, of constants and statistical significance, whatever that is. I managed to say it without stuttering, that's a good thing. When it comes to the things of God, I want to say both these ways are insufficient. When it comes to knowing God, you can't look in and you can't look out. True wisdom, the knowledge of how to live, does not come from looking in at yourself or looking out at the world, which leaves us in a problem. How do we know what, what God thinks? How, how, if it's not from here and not from out there, what, what? let me show you why. Verse 6, these aren't going to come up on the screen, so if you've got your Bible there, it'd be great to have it open. If you don't have a Bible, just grab one from up the back. Um, they're there, you can look at it. If you don't have one at all, we'd love you to take it home. It's on us. Um, yeah. Okay, so, if you've got a phone, do that. Verse 6, Paul says, True wisdom... Is not the wisdom of this age. We do speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. What Paul's saying is the wisdom of this age, the wisdom we can get by looking at and arriving at the kind of observations we see or looking in at to ourselves, is coming to nothing. Paul's just pointed out in chapter 1 that the wise man, the scholar, the philosopher of this age, still die we, we don't have the answers to everything so just when you are tempted to think that there's no wisdom at all Paul's going, you know, there's nothing Paul says, ah, oh, but there is one type of wisdom it's God's wisdom, verse 7 now we speak of God's secret wisdom a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began the wisdom that Paul has is different It wasn't arrived at by looking at himself, by digging deep into his ideas or his musings and going, okay, this is what I think. It wasn't arrived at by his clever thinking. It wasn't arrived at by empirical research either. He didn't go and repeat and test a whole heap of things. This wisdom is God's wisdom. And it has been hidden from mankind. It's it's a secret. But it's meant for our glory. God's wisdom is good and there is something good that has been hidden If you want to know how to live, if you want to know how to act, if you want wisdom, Paul's saying you need to go to the one who invented wisdom. Paul's claim is that the God of the universe has something for us that is far better than what we can come up with. That shows our own thoughts or even our empirical kind of observations of the world as arrogant. You know, we we haven't even been past the moon. (laughs) Yet, you don't know how long it would take to get to the next galaxy, like... Yeah, and we think, oh, we can work it out. And God's like, I've spoken, and happened. If if you want to know wisdom, we've got to know God, Uh, because God's wisdom is a wisdom that, even in its foolishness, is smarter than all of mankind's wisdom put together. Even its weakness is more powerful than everything mankind could ever imagine combined. But the problem is, how do you get access to God? How do you get access to this wisdom? Because how do we how do we see it for what it is? Because Paul says it's a secret. Now let's just say I've got a secret. I have a secret. Okay, it's nothing amazing. It's like, (gasps) Rowan was an alien in a former life. Nothing, nothing like that. I've got a secret. Um, Who can tell me what it is? Seriously, is there anyone amongst you who can tell me what my secret is? Uh, is there anyone who say, uh, okay, what about the smart people amongst us? Is there anyone who's got or doing a master's degree? <laughs> anyone with a PhD? Anyone with someone with a PhD in their family? He does. Yeah. Okay. So what's my secret? Okay. What what about kind of um, the people who are really good with people? You know, they're, they're kind of so, is anyone with a social work degree or counselling or anything kind of background there? Psychologists maybe. Okay. What's my secret? You can try, and you can even throw guesses, right? And you can kind of make up stuff. You could look deep down inside yourself and go, oh, I just know what Rowan's secret is. I've got this feeling in my heart, and I, this is what it is. Does anyone have one of those? Come on, just have a stab. How awesome would it be if you got it? <laughs> it would totally disprove this whole thing. Yes, Carla? you actually love Disney movies? Oh, no. <laughs> Okay, so you can guess, you might even, but how would you know what the secret is? You would not know unless I told you. Now, the secret is, I actually wear glasses. So, like, you've never seen me with glasses on because I've never taken them out since I came here, but look, I oh, got heaps clearer now. But um, I don't really need them, I only need them a little bit. But you would not know this wisdom that would help me see you clearer and kind of help me read and see stuff. That I actually wear glasses. or should? Can't be bothered. Now, that's the nature of relationships, right? You can have, you can know someone, and but you can't know them unless they reveal who they are to you. So, if you ever tried to have a relationship with someone who doesn't tell you anything, hey, hey, don, you, you, you can't, you can't. You, The nature of relationships is you need to be you need to reveal yourself to someone else. It's normal, right? So that's why Paul says it's impossible to know God's wisdom unless He reveals Himself. Verse nine, he's kind of showing us. He's like, have a look at verse nine. Paul's like No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. No no one has seen God's wisdom. In fact, it's beyond our our vision, it's beyond our hearing, it's beyond our conception. Our minds cannot come up with how good God is and what he has planned for us. Now that's great if we can get access to it. It totally sucks if we can't. But God has this secret and he's going to reveal it. Empirical methods are not sufficient to access God's work. We can look around at creation and go, wow, this, this is great. But we can't know what about God. We can know of him. Enough to make us without excuse, Romans tells us. But we can't know his purposes for why he's made us without him revealing it. To know God's wisdom is naturally impossible. 1 Corinthians 2.11 For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. So what he's saying is, kind of God is of a whole different order. God is divine. We're human. Um, you can't know my thoughts unless my spirit, the the me in me, kind of speaks them, right? Um, only my spirit, the me in me, the kind of whatever that is, have we think about my isness, um, right? That I know who I am because I'm I'm male and I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a human and I can know me. No one else can know me. So what Paul does, he says, well, God is like divine. God's on a whole other plateau. And even if, you know, if you, even if you were divine, which some of us, frankly, sometimes think we are by the way we act, but even if you were, you wouldn't know it unless you were God's spirit, unless you were God, God in himself, right? So the impossibility of a man, of a human, knowing the divine, Paul's drawing this massive line saying, you just can't do it. It's impossible. It'd be like saying, okay, just tell me for a minute, how do you create a universe by speaking? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> right? It's just like it's just a whole other order. How do you maintain all the laws of physics in the world at once while well, you hear everyone's prayers? Jim Carrey can't do it, can't even hear just America's prayers in, in um, Bruce Almighty. Anyway, it's not true. Um, we are very different from God. Oh, that wasn't made by Disney, was it? <laughs> if it was, it's bad. <laughs> Uh, we are very different from God. You might have been able to guess my secret, but we are so different from Him. I'm, I'm a man, I'm a, I'm a human. You might have been able to guess a human secret, but to guess the creator of the universe is like a whole other ballpark. Just think about the questions that we ask all the time, right? Why are we here? Who made us? What, what is your purpose? For what reason were you made? Why does bad stuff happen? Why does good stuff happen? What, what is good? There's a whole realm of questions that we kind of are always thinking through. Or you know, we can't get an absolute answer. We can come up with ideas. It's only the Creator of the universe, the one who made the world, who can tell us why we're here. The one who made us, who can tell us who we are, what our purpose is the one who defined right and wrong, good, and the one who who, who, who came up with a definition of good and said this is it. Only he knows what that is. We can't answer those questions, but the creator of the universe can. The God who made us, the the God who maintains the world. But if we don't have access to God, if he doesn't speak, we remain in the dark. So that's the kind of man-made wisdom idea. But then Paul goes on to speak about this other type of wisdom that we have access to. I call it spirit informed wisdom. Verse 10. Kind of this is the ah uh, moment. It's possible. But God has revealed it to us by his spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. Here is someone who knows God. In fact, he is God. God the Spirit. He, he searches all things, even the deep things of God. He knows Him inside out because He is God. He is from God, and he's, He is God. The wisdom Paul speaks of is God's wisdom that's been revealed by God's Spirit, by God the Spirit. Now, God the Spirit knows God because He's from Him, and He is Him. He is God, therefore He knows all there is to know about God's plans and purposes. For him, it's like not a hard thing at all, because I was there in the beginning when we made you. Let us make mankind in our image. He was there when things were said. He knows God. Paul is saying this thick and heavy line between our wisdom and God's wisdom is uncrossable, except for if God's Spirit comes and crosses that line for us. If God comes. And if God did cross that line, he came to earth as a human. Jesus was here on the planet. But just imagine, right? You're like, great. Why do I need the Spirit if Jesus was here? Okay, you take the apostles, Peter, standing in front of Jesus, Mark 8. And Jesus says, who do you say I am? Peter says, you're the Messiah, God's King. And he's like, you're right. And I will suffer and die. And three days later, rise again. And Peter says, no, you won't. <laughs> Peter doesn't even get who he is. He's like, I'll tell God's King what to do. Like, Peter's face-to-face. So even if you were face-to-face with Jesus, it would be impossible for you to know God. It wasn't until when they started to get it that it clicked for the apostles, until God's Spirit came, until Acts. God's Spirit crosses the line between us and God. He comes not just to us, not just to face us, but He comes into us. He lives in us. So that and that way it kind of he, he crosses that barrier. We can now know as if as if our like our spirit knows us imperfectly, God's spirit knows God perfectly, and he is in us if we trust in Jesus. And what does he say? What 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 does the spirit kind of point to? What is this wisdom of God's? It's all about Jesus. The answer to life's purpose, the future, the hope, everything actually is found in Jesus. The role of the Spirit throughout Scripture is to declare God's wisdom to us. What is that? Well, what Paul has preached. We preach Christ and He crucified. It's all about Jesus. Have a look at this on the screen. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. What's the role of the Spirit? To enable us to see who Jesus is. While the rest of the world can muse and contemplate what wisdom is, Paul says God has revealed it to the apostles, those Jesus sent out, by His Spirit. God's wisdom, this kind of Jesus dying in your place so you can know God, is what He reveals, it's the centrality of what He speaks. When it comes to God's wisdom, there is only one message. Christ and He crucified just us to spend a moment thinking through the role of the Spirit. I don't know what your view of God's Spirit is or what we think. I think he's one of the most misunderstood persons in the Bible, let alone the most misunderstood person of God. Um, let's have a think for a moment what he is. Number one, we don't feel him. He's not an emotion. He's not sort of some warm, fluffy, okay, suddenly when, when I became a Christian I felt this warm feeling come over me and now, you may have felt a warm feeling come over you, but that wasn't God the Spirit. That was a feeling that came from knowing God, from God entering to you. He's biblically portrayed as a person. So you know how um, when you meet a person, you, you actually you get to know them. He's the person of God who, who enables us to understand God the Father and what He's done for us. So He's different in that he, He's not physical. He's not kind of flesh and blood like Jesus was, yet we can know Him. It's kind of like the, the, the silent partner um, or the, the shy member of, of God's trinity. And as he comes in us and as we know him, as, as we see who Jesus is, our feelings change, right? Just like as, as we know, as I see Sarah after I've been away for two days, as I walk in the door and see Sarah, I feel like, oh, this is great. It's great to be home. How have this feeling of warmth and excitement. Now, that, that warmth and excitement is not Sarah. She's not somehow making me warm and excited. It's me <laughs> knowing her. Okay, And then out of my knowledge of her, I'm responding with feelings. Feelings are good. Don't hear me saying feelings are bad. Let's all be like straight, you know. Feelings are great. But what the Spirit does is he works to show us Jesus. And then our feelings follow. I think sometimes we can be guilty of two errors with the role of the Spirit. We either ignore him as if he doesn't exist and kind of kick him out. Or we make so much of him... We kind of fail to see who Jesus is and what's going on. So, the first error, um, ignoring the Spirit. I've seen people, and I think in my past at times, I have kind of I, I kind of err on that side, that I think, oh, he's, he's not that important. But what Paul is saying here is that you cannot be a Christian unless God's Spirit is in you, unless God has given you his Spirit. It is impossible He is so integral to your faith that if you do not know the Spirit, if you have not trusted in Jesus and the Spirit is in you, you can't call yourself a Christian. You can't know the wisdom of God. You can't know Jesus Christ and Him crucified and how amazing that is. Without the Spirit, we're like a donkey at a concert. I don't know if you've been to a concert lately. You're at Coldplay. I don't know. Did you see any donkeys there last night? Elephants, all, right? You can just imagine for a moment a donkey at a concert, right? The music's great, it's kind of coming around, but all it's doing is asking about, right? There's the donkey there, it's like making a commotion, moving around. It's like, what's this noise? You know, it can't even speak, most of them. Anyway, so that's what it's like without the role of the Spirit, without the Spirit in us. We're seeing God's creation, we're hearing about Jesus dying in our place and what He's done for us. It's not like people can't hear that, it's just like, oh. It's, doesn't make any difference. So what? Who cares? It's just not significant. Yet when God's spirit is in us, it's like ah. Calvin talks about um, the role of the spirit being like glasses and that was us to see the world through God's eyes and go far out. I deserve to die. but Jesus died in my place. We must not eliminate the spirit. We must not kind of go ah, oh, he's not important. He is. But the other error is the opposite extreme. We can sort of elevate the role of the Spirit so much that we kind of keep looking at Him. We focus on Him and expect from Him what God never promises—that He will tell us the right person to marry. I've not seen that in Scripture anywhere. Um, that He'll reveal some crazy plan, or like He's some crystal orb. I think sometimes we're told, "Come to the Spirit and, and pray, and, and He will kind of show you the future and light up and kind of." Nowhere in the Bible does God say to expect that. Now, sometimes God does do that. And He does speak. Uh, But generally, throughout the Bible, we see the Spirit coming in times when God is revealing His plan. So, in the Old Testament, the Spirit only came on kings generally and only for a time. In Judges, the Spirit only came on the judge to be able to save God's people. So, the role of the Spirit is always linked to God's saving plan. I kind of like to think of Him doesn't matter how I like to think of him, but a good illustration of how he works, I think, is like a GPS navigation unit, right? Um, he's got access to a higher authority, so satellites in the sky, GPS does. Um, he's not the satellites. The satellites are the Father, because the Father sends the Spirit and the Son sends the Spirit. So, But his job is to kind of point us in the right direction, to say, OK, I, I know God. <laughs> I know his plans. This is the way to go. But I think what we try to do is... We try and put into the GPS unit of God the Spirit. Oh, this is what I'd like, God. Take me over here. God, show me this thing over here. I want to see these things. I want to know the way to live. I want to know exactly how to um, what car to buy. And we try and punch into the GPS. Okay, take me where I want to go. But I think the role of the Spirit, He, he is more like a, a homing beacon than a kind of sat nav in your car. Now, a homing beacon, you take it with you and it radiates your location so that people can find you when you get lost I've been canyoning and you kind of take one of these GPS things and if things go bad you hit the button and it's like sends out this signal um, that tells people where you are Um, they kind of radiate and draw people to the right spot well the spirit's like that he just keeps screaming out to people to come to Jesus he's like over here over here no matter where you are no matter how lost you are no matter how far away from God you are no matter what you think you've done or where you've been no matter what it is Jesus is the answer Come and see Jesus. Look at him. He's died in your place. He has risen again. Come. He's like here. He's like this massive sign going, look at him. Jesus died for you. He's paid the price for you. He's the answer to everything you've been looking for, but you're not looking for that answer. But trust me, he's here. And as he works, he draws people to Jesus. You want to know how to live in life? Come to Jesus. You want to know who you are? Come to Jesus. Your identity is found in Him as we are united to Christ. You want to know how to live. Make Jesus your king. Look at how He sets out how to live and and you actually work out the best way to live in this world because it's the way that the creator of the universe made us to live. He'll show you. He'll change you. He'll transform you. To what? Be more like Christ. He's all about Jesus. You want to change? Come and I'll show you Jesus. I'll make you more like Him. He's kind of like another illustration, a spotlight. He doesn't draw attention to himself, but he illuminates Jesus. I've found this such a helpful image. Ever been to concert week this week? If you ever been to a concert, they've kind of got the full kind of kit. Everyone's playing, it's massive. And then they kind of do this cutback set where the main artist kind of walks forward and sits on the stage, maybe at the piano or maybe just with a guitar. It's just the guitar and the mic and then all the stage lights fade and there's just one spotlight on the kind of main performer in the middle and it's saying, look how awesome he is. Even with a big band, he sounds great, but now when it's cut back and it's just on him, he's amazing, right? It kind of shows off who he is. So you can kind of imagine it, right? Everywhere's black except there's one little spot. Now, who at the concert sits there and goes, that is an awesome spotlight? Man, have you ever seen a spotlight like that before? Just kind of the way it's whiteness, it kind of comes down and like, like no. You go, that is an awesome performer. Well, that's what the Spirit's role is. Uh, the Spirit's role is not to say, look at me, I'm, I'm awesome. Let's look at Jesus. That's what He's been speaking the whole way through Scripture. That's what Scripture points to. And remember, God's Word is inspired by God, breathed out. Spirit, the same sort of Word, is in there. And God has spoken His Word by the Spirit. Sure, men and women wrote the Bible, but it was God the Spirit who was in them, who was helping them to write what was there. We have got access to God's wisdom in the Word. And what does that wisdom say? Come to Jesus. In John 14, 26, I don't think it's even going to be on the screen, but you can write it down. Um, Jesus said, He's there, right? And in my thinking, I'd be like, oh, this is awesome. If I could take me back to any point in history, I'd rather be where Jesus was because I'd want to see Him, right? But Jesus says, um, I will send the Spirit to you. He will be my comforter and it will be better for you. Jesus says it is better when we have the Spirit because we see Him truly for who He is. He says, The Spirit will remind you of everything I've said to you. Then, when the Spirit comes in power in Acts 2, what happens? 3,000 people from many different languages hear what Peter is speaking in their own language. This gift of tongues, it's amazing. They, They kind of hear it. Peter's speaking one thing and they all hear it in their own languages. But what was Peter saying? Have a look, it's on the screen. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both the Lord and Christ. The role of the Spirit is to point us to Jesus. Just keep looking through Acts at some point. Just go and have a look how he works. He's always going, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I think I've said that enough. The other thing to note is, every time the Spirit seems... He's there working in power. He seems to be working alongside God's word. That God speaks and the Spirit is pointing to the word. So here, the word is the preaching of the gospel. That God has made Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. So throughout scripture, it's kind of like God speaks to us. not doesn't just directly say things to me and something else to you and we can all just go off and go, oh, well God said this to me and he said something different to you. Now he spoke authoritatively through the apostles, and he still speaks to us, but it must be in line with what the apostles first taught. So he doesn't—it's the same Spirit, but he doesn't speak a different message. I'll come back to that in a second. So, giving this understanding of the role of the Spirit, um, Paul explains the differences we see in God's wisdom. So, the person without the Spirit. To the person without the Spirit, God's wisdom, the cross of Christ, will look foolish. Verse 14. But the natural man does not welcome what comes from God's Spirit because it's foolishness to him. He's not able to understand it since it's evaluated by the Spirit. Those without God's Spirit won't understand his wisdom because they have no access to it. It's not that they can't have access to it. They could just come to him and ask. But as we are in our natural state, it's impossible to hear the wisdom of the cross. But the person who has God's Spirit, this apparent foolishness, is actually wisdom. Verse 15. The spiritual person, however, it's kind of the person with the Spirit, can evaluate everything, yet he himself cannot be evaluated. Now this is a really tricky verse, right? Um, The spiritual person can evaluate everything, if he himself cannot be evaluated. Does that mean I can say, well, I have the Spirit, God has told me to do X, Y, or Z, therefore you cannot say that's wrong because I have the Spirit. I've heard many people take it that way. Um, I spent a whole day looking at this verse. So I was kind of like, I want to make sure, I'm, I'm, I, think I'm, I think I'm confident now in what I'm about to say. Um, he's not saying that the person with the Spirit knows everything. It's just that they know everything they need to know about Jesus who he really is, what he's done. It's not saying Christians are smarter people, which I've heard people say, that just because I've got the Spirit, I therefore know all all the problems of the world. No, no, no. We're just people that have been told a secret that has amazing ramifications for our life. That God has stepped into our lives and through his Spirit, shown us the greatness of Jesus. I've heard some say, well, I have the Spirit and he told me to dot, dot, dot. And what the verse is saying is that those with the Spirit cannot be evaluated by others with regard to who God is and who Jesus is, with regard to what God's wisdom reveals. So, how do we know that? Firstly, it's not a license to say, I've got God's Spirit, therefore you can't tell me I'm wrong. Have a look at what happens in in 2 Corinthians 11.14. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. He's kind of like, you're happy just to go along with these other ones. The the, the truth is, you want to compare it to what we first taught. Um, God will only speak in line with what he's taught us through the apostles. They're the ones who he encouraged and sent out. The message of the Spirit is always about Jesus. And if you have God's Spirit, the Spirit will show you God's wisdom. It won't make sense for those without the Spirit. Therefore, it can't be evaluated on natural terms. John the Apostle, we'll jump outside of Paul for a second. He says in, in chapter uh, 1 John 4 verse 5, Some are from the world. Therefore, what they say is from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Anyone who knows God listens to us. Anyone who is not from God does not listen to us. From this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of deception. I want to work through this just for a second. How do I know what someone is saying is God's spirit really is God's spirit? That's the question. John is saying you know it's the spirit of God if it agrees with what we first taught. From this we know, so let's go back, we are from God. Anyone who knows God, how do I know God? Only through the role of the Spirit. Listens to us, how do they know God? Well, God's Spirit spoke to them. Uh, anyone who is not from God does not listen to us. From this we know the Spirit of Truth and the Spirit of Deception. Spirit of Truth listens to the Apostles. Spirit of Deception is anything that doesn't. And I think that's kind of what's, what's on, on, on on show there. The Spirit of God, anything we feel like God is saying to us or to someone else by His Spirit must be tested against what they first taught, against Scripture. God brings no new revelation. There's no new idea or or direction. It's always been pointing forward to Jesus. Uh, Hebrews 1 says, In the past God spoke through many ways and in various times through the prophets, but now He has spoken to us through His Son. Jesus is it. Is what everything's about. That's where it all stops and where it will all continue. Now, I just want to say for a second this isn't just all academic. It's not just kind of going, oh, look, we've got to have a right view of the Spirit. And if we're trying to have a right view of the Spirit, I want to say we should, I don't know, give ourselves an uppercut or something. Um, we can know God only because God lives in us and makes Jesus known. Spirit is awesome. And He says, Jesus. And if you do know Jesus, be thankful. For we would have no access to Him unless God revealed Him to us by His Spirit. Have you ever had friends who are like, or maybe it might be you, who's like, I just don't get this Christianity stuff, it just doesn't make sense. Now, we're not going to know everything. It's like we've got the Spirit, great, we know everything straight away. But we're able to accept the truth. And if you're feeling like you haven't got access to God, then Pray. Pray God would change you and mould you by His Spirit as He promises to do, that you would see Jesus for who the Bible says He is. And then start about looking at at what, what the Spirit has inspired in Scripture to understand how the whole lot fits together, because it does. And if you do know Jesus, pray, won't you? Pray that God's Spirit will come into the lives of people and change them. And see the most amazing miracle ever. People move from death to life. To understand Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. When you recognise that it's only because of the work of the Spirit, in in a kind of big argument of 1 Corinthians, you can't go, oh well, look at me, I'm special, I get God. No. God is coming to us and showing us. There's no spiritual superiority. If anyone says, "I've, I've got more of the Spirit, I've been filled up more by God's Spirit, no. We have the Spirit or we don't. We trust in Jesus or we don't. There is no super spiritual realm. This is a flat playing ground. So if someone says to you, "Wow, there's this extra bit you could get. (laughs) If you don't have the Spirit, you cannot know God. If you have the Spirit, you have Him in His fullness. There is no in-between. We don't need to go looking for any extra special revelation from God. It's here. In the Word. It's all about Jesus. And God's Spirit takes that Word and makes it come alive. The answers to life questions. What he does is he reorients our life around him so that he is our only identity, our hope, our future, our saviour. But the wisdom the Corinthian church cherished, that extra super special stuff, the idea that there was more to be had, it's not what Paul's saying. Friends, Jesus is not just a nice hobby. With a socially acceptable moral, he's it. He's the centre of our existence. You listen to Paul in Colossians. He's the image of the invisible God, for by him everything was created. Uh, He is before all things. He holds all things together. He's the head of the body of the church. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and reconcile to himself all things, making peace through the blood of the cross, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Paul is just like, do you see Jesus? If you don't know Jesus yet, then I want to say maybe it's time to ask God's Spirit to come and show you. To actually get who Jesus is. Maybe God's Spirit has been working in you and you're like, oh, this Jesus does look amazing. Trust him. Put your life in his hands. If you're reacting against this today, you know, if you're like, oh, maybe there's a little part of your conscience that's like, I think this is wrong, I'm not sure. If, if you find yourself angry at God, probably God's Spirit just provoking you, pushing you to say, come and see Jesus for who he is. Wherever you're at, don't ignore God the Spirit. Don't you think it's time to stop and listen to the wisdom of God, the wisdom that points to Jesus as the one who's died for you, the one who's offered you forgiveness, the one who's offered you life. Why don't we pray? And Campbell's going to come up and continue in prayer together. Father, we want to thank you today for your spirit, that he lives in us. We're sorry for the times we have kind of kicked him off to the corner and wanted to minimise him and say, it's by my strength that I know about this Jesus. Lord, we are such fools. Lord, we want to apologise for the times that we have made too much of him and wanted to kind of say, wow, look at the spirit of what he's done and Jesus has been the poor cousin. Father... Thank you that you have spoken to us by him. Thank you that you've allowed us to see you, that you've allowed the whole world to see you, if we would just ask. And so, Lord, we pray that by your spirit you would bring more people to yourself, that they may be captivated and see Jesus for who he is, for who you've shown us he is. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Let's keep praying.
1: Let's continue to pray. Dear Lord, You are an almighty, powerful and loving God. You have created things that we could not have imagined. You have made plans that we cannot comprehend. And most incredibly, You have loved us as sinners. And it is as sinners we come before You this morning and ask for Your forgiveness. We are selfish, proud and immoral. The world can see our actions, but only You know the state of our heart. We are sinful all the time, in the wrong that we do, in the good that we avoid doing, and in the good that we do for the wrong reasons. Help us not to deceive ourselves. Instead we pray that you would be the change in us. As you make the same mistakes again and again, we pray that you would give us the strength to flee from the the things that trap us, and instead find comfort in the knowledge that we have been given new lives through the sacrifice of your Son. Thank you for not forgetting us in the times that we forget you. Forgive us for our neglect and our arrogance as we continuously assume control of our lives. We find comfort in the safety of our own plans and our ability to prepare, and our ability to prepare ourselves for the future. Yet no, no matter how elaborate, detailed or thought out our intentions may be, don't let us forget that the success or failure lies in your hands. We pray that we would place our lives in your hands and find freedom in the knowledge that you determine our steps. Help our relationship in you to be found on the truth of who you are. You are the ever-consistent creator and sustainer of life, the same yesterday, tomorrow, today, and tomorrow. We pray that if, as we have met you in your word this morning, we are discerning in thought and wise in understanding. We thank you that it is through the work of your Spirit in us that you give us this discernment and wisdom, so that we cannot boast in ourselves, but we come before you together as equals equally in need of your work in us, to truly grasp who you are. Thank you for Rowan and the passion you have given him for the work of your kingdom. Thank you for this church, this small part of your family, united and growing in its love for you and each other. Thank you for those who work tirelessly and silently, for those who give their money, time and energy to see this church grow in number and maturity. Give us all the humility to love and serve one another, to encourage one another, and to openly share our lives so that together we might best serve you. We pray for our relatives, friends and colleagues that have no relationship with you. Help us to be loving, truthful and considerate as we share our lives with them. The most loving and generous thing we can do is to share the good news, of your good news with them, and yet we often find it so hard to do so. We ask that through your spirit you would give us courage and a real desire to see those who we love come to know you. We ask that we would take the opportunities we have to share the very thing that defines us, with those in our lives who we love. As you go into the week ahead, we pray that we would not forget what we hear today. We pray that you would remain at the centre of our lives and the work we do, the decisions we make, and the things we pursue would be righteous in character and intent. We bring this prayer before you as humble servants in the name of your Son. Amen.